From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 179, and today I am joined by filmmaker Joel McCarthy. Joel has done a bunch of stuff. I I first got to know him through his movie Shooting the Musical, but he also made a great documentary the same year called Taking My Parents to Burning Man. He's done a bunch of great web stuff like Average Dicks, as well as a really lovely web series called Inconceivable about his own uh, dealings with becoming an unexpected father. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down in isolation. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I have seen this film, but not for a very long time. Ooh, uh, I'm Joel, and I have not seen this film at all. That's right. And I got, and it's funny. I picked up the Criterion on one of those flash sales like a year or two ago, and I still, and it's been on my list to rewatch, and I haven't. So I was really excited when you brought it up. Uh, so that begs the question: What made you bring it up? Well, okay. So the the film um, is. It's in the mood for love. Um, and um, I, it's basically one of those films that's like always referenced, uh, mainly for its like visual motifs and stuff like that. People like often geek out, mainly the cinematography and stuff like that. So I've seen a bunch of like still images of it. And um, I think just in general, I've been watching like a fair bit of like more trashy cinema lately because I've been like really focused on you know, serious work stuff, you know, I guess this is what normal people deal with where they go home and they're like, okay, I just want to watch some Tiger King or some, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just been one of those films that's in the ether. I've seen screenshots from it. I've seen, you know, gifts from it and stuff like that. You know, there's always that artsy person on your Facebook who like has a screen grab and like a subtitled line from it. And it's like, look how deep I am. I watch films with subtitles. And so, um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I haven't, I haven't been like super great at like exploring some aspects of world cinema, but I feel like last year, you know, my two favorite films were subtitled and I, I keep trying to explore more and more of that, that world. And, uh, there's a huge back catalog and this is definitely one that I've been always flirting with watching. Yeah, I like, well, that's the one thing I remember of this movie and why I watched it the first time too is because it was just one of those ones that was uh, like just you have to watch it for visuals alone. It's a gorgeous movie. And I had a friend who uh, I went to film school with who was like basically introduced me to like the Criterion Collection and, you know, was one of the earlier guys that had like a, already had a, a big chunk of it. So I would borrow movies from his and this and he had a big heart on for Wong Kar Wai. And so eventually, but it was one of those things where I think like, I can't remember how I actually felt about the movie. So I'm excited to rewatch it. I do like Wong Kar Wai's other movies and I've seen them more recently. I just rewatched Chunking Express last year and I really dug that. So I've been really excited to rewatch it, but I'm also worried that it's like, what if I don't like it this time around? Cause I can't remember if I actually liked it or not. I remember it being gorgeous and beautiful, but I'm like, was I bored by it? And if so, was it just because I was like, a kid in my twenties who just didn't want to watch something like that at that point where now I'm like, I really enjoy. Like, so you slower. weren't a fan the first time you watched I, it? I don't remember how I felt about this film. So that's why I'm really okay. excited to revisit it. But I, I remember watching and going, this is gorgeous. I, yeah. Like everything I've kind of seen just of, of clips of it looks gorgeous. Like I can tell like it's set dressing wise going to look good. I just like was flipping through a trailer just to like take a little peek and I was like, costumes look good. Uh, 
characters smoking, which always looks good, even though I, you know, there's issues now of how that may have influenced people, blah, blah, blah. But it, it, I just love the look of smoke on screen. I'm always a sucker for it's, it. <laughs> it's very cinematic, especially when it's done like in slow-mo and artfully. It's like, it's the same thing. It's like, if you're going to smoke somewhere, smoke on camera, at least that way you're, there's someone benefiting from it. Exactly. There's that unpredictability of, of smoke as it flies around a room that just like, it's so mesmerizing to look at. And as someone who does not smoke cigarettes uh, and is generally grossed out by them, I do love smoking characters. I haven't had nearly that many in, in my films, but those moments where you get those herbals lit and you have that nice backlight on it. Oh. I don't know if I've ever had anyone smoke in any of my movies. I don't think I have. And I don't think that's like, I'm not, I'm not a smoker. And I'm equally grossed out by, I grew up with relatives who smoked and I was always disgusted by it. I don't think it's a conscious choice, but it's interesting that I don't think I've ever had a character smoke in one of my movies. I'm, I'm still kind of like embarrassed after the last time I had a character smoke in a film I directed or a project I directed. Uh, we hired an actor who was like, yeah, you know, you know, I'm great with smoking. Great. You know, everyone just embellishes if they know it means they might get the job or not. And God bless her. She's sweet. And maybe she might listen to this. And I think she's great, but like I had to painfully cut around that scene to show as little of her smoking as possible. Cause it was, it was like a bad PSA smoking of like, uh, you know, like it was just, it was just, and it was like with yeah. the herbals and stuff. And, you know, and so, you know, you need, you need someone to be comfortable with a cigarette to, to photograph it. And uh, I've, I've been hesitant since. Yeah, that's fair. That's good enough. So story-wise, you know nothing about this movie. No, I, 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 I would, it seems like there's made of a love story type thing, but. The title would. Yeah. That's that's mainly the title there. No, I I literally know nothing about it. I just know that uh, it's one of those films that's mainly praised for framing and cinematography. As far as I can recall, people message like talking about it, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I recall of of people talking about it. And it seems like it's kind of a bit more on the artsy side to a certain degree compared to like some North American cinema. But what is the content of it? I don't know. Well, I think that's a good place for us to dive in and find out. All right. So we'll be right back. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And we just finished. Ooh, what a movie. I'm... I'm still like I'm I'm still kind of processing the ending. I'm a little confused, but I, maybe I'm not sure if spoilers are, are a thing or not. But it, wow, what a what a journey! Spoilers are. Here's the thing: if you're listening to a podcast about us like watching a movie in real time and then talking about it, and you're not expecting spoilers, that's your own fault. So, for those who aren't aware, spoilers are going to happen. Okay, so watch it right now and then unpause. And okay, um, yeah. Well, I, I, where do where do you want to start by talking about it? I, I could I'll, I'll, I'll maybe add my confusion of the ending near near the end because that would be a weird place to start. But it's uh, yeah, I, I mean, feel like it's going to sit with me. It's a tough movie in that it's like you know you don't want to have like you know you don't want to be tired going into this movie. It's 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 very meditative. It's 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 even though it's, a, you know, it's what, an hour, 38 minutes or something like that. It's a movie that feels a lot longer. Um, and not in a bad way necessarily. Like it, it just kind of like warms over you and you just kind of drift along into it. Uh, yeah, you know, I was, I was kind of surprised at the end to find out it wasn't two hours that had gone by. Like, oh, it was like 90 minutes. Yeah. The original cut was like something like, uh, Three hours, 130, 130 minutes. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Apparently, where is this? I was just reading some trivia on it. I forgot about this. Uh, Mei Chung's hair, apparently, and makeup took five hours to apply each day, which is crazy to me because I'm like, it's just like her hair is back in a 
and it, it says what is uh, it's, it's done up in such an interesting way I, yeah I, I, that it's like it, it's such an iconic look of hair but i i couldn't imagine it being that long but it makes sense her dresses also are so beautiful yeah i'm rarely a person who ever notices like clothing too much in films but the costumes were just gorgeous especially hers every time yeah, her dresses are just like stunning. Well, every just I mean, this thing, this this is like the the quintessential every frame is a painting kind of movie, you know. And uh it's just really, really a visual feast to, to watch and behold. And just the way things are framed are really interesting. So it's like mm-hmm. if you're uh if you're a film student looking to like study and you and you don't mind watching some international cinema, this one's a great one. Especially if you're looking for someone to kind of like visually inspire you and just to think outside the box and how you frame things. It's it's interesting because like in some ways it's almost like the antithesis of like how Deacons shoots in a way, like where it's it's like we're Whereas, like, I feel like when you see, like, a, a lot of the times when, you know, depends on the director he's working with, but like, especially, like, the Coen brothers and stuff like that, Deacons, like, really tries to get the camera right in the action and, like, make you right there. Whereas this is, like, almost, we're always, like, almost watching, like, voyeurs. It's always through cracks and crevices and, like, you feel like you're spying on this couple the whole time. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's intentional. Yeah, he wa- really wants you to feel the environment too, right? He wants you to, mm-hmm. to know where you are and feel where you are. But I think that's kind of what it's like. I mean, the whole thing starts off with these visual motifs of them like very paralleling each other's lives, but like eating together and alone and, and they're passing each other by. Sometimes they're, they, they run into each other, sometimes they don't as they go to like the same noodle shop. Or, or just up and down that stairwell. There's that really beautiful like slow-mo shot that tracks along to, from left to right and then back in the stairwell, and they're coming up and down the stairs. Yeah, that the first time that like slow-mo motif starts with that music, it was like almost a little jarring. But by the end, it's just like such beautiful meditative moments and like oh that 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 score uh, that just comes in every time. It's like oh slow-mo sequence. I know it's an, it's it's so funny as a filmmaker too. You're like, wow, it's like they you know they, they they're really milking this score. They, they they probably needed like ten minutes of actual score for the entire film. Yeah, it was just like that continuous. Ah, oh, I just keep right now. I'm just like flipping through random shots, and it's like, wow, everything's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's uh like. And it's still like I'm still like feeling feelings and getting. I well, let, feeling let's like get I, into it. I'm, like I'm curious. Week. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk about the because you said the ending. There's some confusion on the ending for you. I don't know if I'll provide any answers, but uh, I'd love to know where. W- w- walk me through the process of what's going on in your brain. Okay, so my, I guess my thing is like, like I get it because he had that talk with a guy about like whispering in a hole your secrets type thing, and so I yeah. get that. What was with that random like one minute of archive footage just thrown in there that felt like it felt like the channel changed? Yeah. So, I mean, if you notice at one point, I mean, I think it's meant to represent the passage of time because at one point it cuts back to the wall and the hole and now there's something growing out of it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the idea that it's like something has grown out of their this love that could never be. Uh, and so life came out of it, which is, which is a, a really optimistic ending for a movie. That's kind of a downbeat ending. Although I guess the short film, it, it's based on not a short film. It's based on a short story where apparently the couple, the, the, the would be lovers commit suicide yeah. at the end. So, uh, okay. You know, so something growing out of a, a mud hole is a much more optimistic ending than that. By yeah, comparison. No, uh, yeah, it wasn't so much that. It's like there's like a whole like two minutes of news footage with like this prince and the queen. And I'm just like a little confused where this news footage came from. It was like, what? Again, it's like it's meant to be like yeah. passage of time. One second, my dog, okay. Rufus, Rufus, come here. My dog's barking, okay. at, barking at nobody there. I think and the only thing he was he can hear you through my headphone. Rufus, come. Rufus, come here. Silly dog. But yeah, uh, I just like this, these infidelity, regret and guilt themes, like 
they always like punch me really hard, you know, like for me, like I've been very afraid of, of generally committing to relationships and things like that in, in general. And, you know, uh, like the biggest commitment is I've obviously had is having a child, but that was a bit of a surprise and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So like, I, I don't know what, what do you, how do you like as a, as a married person who yeah, like, how do how does this, I don't know. Like, I feel like my, my view on getting married is I'm always going to think of what could have been and what was and what isn't. And it's so hard to, to you know, the grass is always greener and like I'm in a relationship now and things are really good, but I don't know. I just like, I fight with a lot of these thoughts and it really oh. made me sit and meditate with them. It doesn't get better. I mean, we're, we're about, <laughs> we're about to get into some real shit here. So, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, and it's interesting because when I saw this film last time I was in film school and uh, you know, not, and so a whole life has changed. You know, I'm now married with two children and, uh, and I can absolutely say that. And I think this is true of most people. I, I kind of have, a theory that um, that most relationships fail because people too put too much emphasis on their partner and, and think that they need to be everything to them. Well, I don't think that's a possible or be fair because I don't think your partner can be everything. I think you do need other people in your lives to like fulfill other things inside of you, you know? And so I think that's the biggest problem. So it's like, I think it's important for us to have, you know, friendships with other people and relationships with other people, whether they be men or women. And so then it comes down to like, you know, trust and, and, and that kind of stuff. And I definitely, you know, for me, it's like, I remember going through, especially hasn't been in a while. Cause I think I've just like me personally, especially in the last couple of years, I've just gotten to a place where I'm just completely content and happy with, kind of who I am and where I'm at in my, in my relationships. And I've kind of accepted, you know, just shortcomings of others as not being actually weaknesses, but just being differences. You know, I, and I think that's part of it too, is it's like we look at our partners or people we're with and go and see their weaknesses and, and realize that, and, and just think about who they could be and why, why aren't they fixing that thing about them? And it's like, well, that's part of them. And if you don't accept that, then you don't accept them. And so just coming to grips with that kind of shit as I get older, but definitely like early on, like I can tell you, like, you know, without a doubt that it's like, there was always those moments in, in relationships when, uh, and especially after I first got married, it was like the big, like what ifs. And so like every time I'd meet someone new that I was attracted to, it's just like my brain would go down that rabbit hole of, yeah. you know, what if I'd have met them, you know, before I got married, would I have married them? It's like, what if, I'd done this and that. And it's like, and, and I think, like I said, in the last five years, I've stopped having those thoughts. I think, um, because, you know, I look at all the good things and all the things I do have in my life. And I just, I, you know, I look at the butterfly effect of it all. And I think had I been with someone else or not been with my partner or whatever, it's just like, I wouldn't have the life I have now, you know? And so I, I've kind of like, just stop thinking that way. But I definitely have gone through that, that journey and, and, and took a while to get to the place where I'm, I'm, you know, kind of at now. Fair enough. I think like for, yeah, it's, oh man, there's I have so many thoughts. Uh, yeah. I think like for, for me, what's, what's been interesting is like, I basically started a relationship right before COVID began and that was like the honeymoon phase and things obviously escalated quick because everyone like locked down and what have you, and and just not being around other people, having a partner there was, it has been just so wonderful, but also not having those outside things, because I just, I really am not seeing people these days. I think it's driving me somewhat crazy, because uh, I'm just like working home, mm-hmm. and working with like, you know, a couple of nerdy editors, and it's it's not really, I don't know, it's it's a weird feeling. Uh, one thing that, I, that really stuck with me, though, is... And it was is double apparent because I, I put my cell phones like away, like uh, so I put my cell phone away, um, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to touch it because it's a subtitle film. I got to be fully present here, and it also just kind of like it, it because the 
the films, it takes place in the 1960s in Hong Kong. Uh, there is no cell phones and things like that. And so we get to see, uh, you know, these people don't even have like TVs in this, in this scenario that we're seeing. Right. So we see people just like alone with their feelings and their thoughts and you're forced to sit with them. There's a moment where I thought the film paused and I'm like, no, they're just sitting that still. And I was like, Oh shoot. Like what's going on? And I see the seconds are moving. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> like I, I had to, adjust it because I, I thought it, it stopped and uh it kind of like made me almost sad that like you know I, I'm I'm not su- I'm not super old um I never really I'm not that this makes anyone super old I just never really had an adult life without like internet and connectivity right mm-hmm. like I remember in in like middle school early high school that idea of like having to like phone a girl a girl's parents house and just praying that she was the one who picked up the phone type yep. thing but I, I never I never really had a good chunk of time of that where I couldn't just connect with people and like it's one of those films where you're like oh just find people on Facebook and you know but it's like no this is about like a missed opportunity uh she was passing ch- in the night and all that kind of stuff yeah it's this chunk of time and it's just like these moments, especially that moment where it pans between them both like leaning against their walls, just like, you know, that they could be happier if they were just hanging out and putting this societal pressure on it where like, you know, the, the landlady pretty much for lack of better words, like implies because she's out a lot. Like she's a, she's a slut. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, you ho, you're out all the time. And you go back to your goddamn Mahjong and shut the fuck up. Yeah, and she just has to like, and and that was what the the pressure that she caves under is like. Oh, I don't want the landlady to think that something's going on, and like, seemingly, like, it's everything was platonic, unless there's scenes that are supposed to be implied that we don't see. But it, it seems I don't like, think so. No, I, I think it. I don't think so. But there's that scene where the weird role play scenes have also messed with me. Yeah. Where there's like that that one scene that's like back to back where he's too aggressive, then she's too aggressive or whatever. And I'm like, what happened here? And it never really quite does that motif again. Mm-hmm. And then and then later on there's that that bit where they're like rehearsing, confronting uh the loved ones. Uh, and also what's what I, I thought was really cool but confusing at the beginning was that we never got to see their spouses. And like how deliberately like we're just seeing these two people like they're in this world of so many people and we really only have like as far as I can think right now like three outside characters. There's like yeah, do their spouses even exist? Or are they lying? That, there are definitely moments where I I, I definitely had that thought. Oh, um, I was I was being facetious i mean that you you could probably if you really wanted to read into that yeah i am yeah and like that that feeling i don't know it's just it just really made you like confront yourself like in watching this film especially because there's such long meditative moments of like slow-mo and that same music and like i don't know that feeling of going for noodles not because you're hungry but because you need something in your life Oh, yeah, exactly. you're you're filling some other void with food, as people often do. <laughs> oh man, I I was doing so good before COVID, and uh, I stepped on the scale for the first time the other day. It's food is definitely a coping mechanism, and I was having some real real rough mental months. So you're working, you you know, it's uh, people have to do their own thing, but it's like it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like I think people during this time it's funny. Like I see a lot of people that like they've either gotten way fitter or they've got they've gone out of their way, and it's like it both both make sense. Yeah, you, you kind of just got to find something to to gravitate to, or else you know that existential dread is is very real. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting seeing Maggie Chung and and Tony. Tony um, I'm going to pronounce his last name. I'm going to screw up the uh, Tony uh, Leung, I think you want to say, because uh, they're both like in movies like International Affair and and Hero and those big like 
action-y type movie. So it's fun seeing them in something like like this where everything is just like slowed down. Yeah, and, uh, I, and I, you know what? I don't even know if I would classify it as a love story. It kind of is. It's kind of not. It's meta. It's a meditative. I mean, it's it is kind of a love. It's a, it's a more. It's it's intimate in a way that a lot of love stories aren't because it's really about their own personal loneliness. And it's kind of it's just. It's, and sometimes it's just about like sometimes you just find someone else who's going through exactly what you're going through, and so understands you in a way that other people can't and so through that kind of coincidental nature it's like it's one of those things that I'm like are you mistaking that for love or just because it's convenient and it's there that idea that it's like you know why did you cheat on me it's like well that person was there and you weren't you know mm-hmm. and uh and, and but there are there are these other weird parallels like that's the conversation they have over dinner that one night where they're both asking about uh, things that they own and their spouses have bought them on trips overseas. And it's, and so it's like, there's all these weird, there's a lot of like interesting parallels that are, that are, mm-hmm. you know, clearly there on purpose. Uh, I, I liked also the parallel of like her facilitating her bosses. Uh, like they both are facilitating in some way, some form of infidelity, right? Like she's working with her boss to like buy two gifts in different colors and this, that, and the other. And he's facilitating dinners or whatever, which is really soul crushing when you realize that this is what your husband is also going through. But the other thing is like his buddy, who's kind of like, or the guy he works with, it doesn't seem like he likes him too much, but he's stuck with him type thing. You know, his buddy, he's, literally having to pay his tab for the uh you know the for the sex worker that he's um owes money to and stuff like that like you know is his friend is single i believe but is he does he have a, a spouse that he mentions uh, or he's just a oh, single dirty old the man? uh I, I if he mentioned it i missed it okay okay i i but still, like, is as far as uh, 1960s uh, cultures go, in, in a conservative culture, they're both do you know facilitating some ethical gray areas of infidelity, and uh, yeah, it just it kind of made it. I don't know her. I think especially her having to like buy the gifts for her bosses. Uh, mistress and stuff like that it kind of made it extra painful i felt i don't know yeah uh and so what's interesting i think um just to the point of what, we, what you were talking about about like the love story is that is is how one car why works is he works without a script like he works with uh he starts with a script just some kind of outline but then he doesn't uh he kind of lets the film Kind of, kind of move along. I don't know if he shoots in chronological order, but he definitely lets the film kind of like reveal itself a little bit. Like originally, the film they had set out to make and all had kind of agreed upon was a much more straightforward love story, where you know it was like just like loads of witty dialogue and even like scenes of you know sex scenes. And then as they started moving along and playing with it, I think they they found this other thing which for them was far more interesting to watch and definitely less cliche like i think what's really interesting about this is even though i think this movie feels universal and i think there's always that one person who you, everyone wonders like what would have happened if i'd yeah. you know you know asked that person out or if uh if i'd have been single when i met them or, or this and that and so or if i, I think, stayed in front instead of jumping ship whatever it may be right yeah yeah, yeah. So I think the you know the, the 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 route they took is what makes the movie far more original. I mean, I think the movie I mean, the movie is pretty narratively sparse. You know, to be honest, there's not there's not a lot of story going on. It's it's pretty repetitive in what it's doing, and so I can see how it was easily cut down. Yeah, I can. From, I, I I I don't feel like I want to watch the hundred and thirty minute version after. No, it's this. just prettier and, and longer. Uh, I think it's what you're going to get out of it. But it's definitely one of those movies. That I think it's like. I think this is a great movie for people that are going through a heartache or a heartbreak, 
because you're going to feel like a kinship and just be, you know, bathed in warm, beautiful images. Yeah. Oh God. It's so beautiful. I just can't stop like skimming through. I felt at the beginning, it was almost like too claustrophobic with the, um, like the set and all the, when you get into that first bit, but then it like really forces you to feel claustrophobic is they have a dual moving scene in a small set. Mm. And, uh, that almost helped me pull me into it because it was like, Oh, this is a universal feeling that like, even though I've never been in Hong Kong in the 1960s, I couldn't imagine moving into a small apartment at the same time someone else is. And like, you know, yeah, it's insane. Have you seen Chungking Express? No, I've I've to, I've been told that that's that's probably the next. I've li, I've literally seen no other Wong Kar Wai films, um, and I've all, always felt a little bit of guilt as as a cinema lover for not going down that road yet. So I want to see more now. So I'll say, um, without, this doesn't spoil anything. Is that you've got so he 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 takes a fair amount of time between his movies. Like so, he made. Um, uh, the, the movie after this he made was called 2046 and it took a while to make it. And that one is definitely on the, even if the, you think this one is like reflective and slow, like that one is even more so. Uh, but what I love Chungking Express because it's really, um, it's really, it, it kind of moves. It has this energy, this, this youthful vibe to it. That's almost like defying rules. It was made in, I think it was made in 1994 uh and i think it was his well he made a ton of shorts and he's got a bunch of stuff that's listed i don't know if it was his first feature but it was definitely the film that like put him on the map uh and it's got a great energy to it and it's a bit less uh meditative in that way so i would i would strongly recommend if you want to see like a totally different like a a filmmaker who still just like traffics in beautiful imagery and whatnot but like telling a, a story with a totally different kind of energy, I would go and check out Chunking Express next. And you'll okay, see, a, and you'll see, and you'll basically really see the two different, uh, like tent poles of where he like, or field goals or whatever you want to call it for like, what, what kind of makes him up as a storyteller. Yeah. I, what I li- also like is that he's in, I, I don't know anything outside of this. So I'll, in this film, I like how it's, it's pretty much shot in a way that, you know, obviously you can cut down scenes, but each scene is like one or two shots and really is limited in coverage. And, and most of them are just like, this is the one shot, this is the scene. And like, it's kind of a nice way to have control of your edit, but there's also times where I just like, I love the lack of, the lack of coverage works for it. And it's tough because you know, I, I'm working as a teacher at a film school. So it's like, it's hard because like this stuff works really well, but sometimes it's hard to like tell your students when, when it's okay to like say fuck the rules and like do your own thing. And like that scene where his buddy he works with tells him like, yo, I think that your wife is cheating on you. Not in those exact words. Or like, I saw your, your wife out with another man last night and like, he goes on and I like how we just do not see the reaction of the protagonist in there. We just see this guy like, Hey dude, like we just see the guy that's delivering the news. And like, we're so used to traditionally, you know, Hey man, I want to tell you your wife's cheating cut to the guy's reaction. He's crushed, Mm -hmm. but we just sit with the guy delivering the news and we see him like skirt around it and feel uncomfortable in that space. And like, it's a, it's a, it's a brave move as a filmmaker and like. And so here's a question and, and then I'll get into my thoughts on like film students and copying because I've seen my fair share of that too. Having uh, mentored a lot of filmmakers. How does that make, how did that make you feel as an audience member? Uh, it, it, it made me feel like I was that guy in a way, I guess it made me like, it made me want to kind of see it, but like, I also didn't because I got to see that guy react to the reaction. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was, I thought it was nice. Like he made me sit with it. Um, it's interesting because we've, uh, speaking of film students, there's a really awesome local filmmaker here who, uh, who just got announced that he got talent to watch today. So oh, great. exciting. He's, he's an emerging guy, Lawrence Lamb. And he's 
done these two shorts that are just unbelievably beautiful. And his, his best one I got to send to you is uh, the Blue Jet, which is based in Taiwan uh, during, it's basically like a pirate radio story in Taiwan when they've banned anti-war rock and roll. This one guy was like, screw it, I'm going to play anti-war songs. And it's a movie that's so beautifully shot, has zero music clearances and no fucks about it. So it's mm. like, because like you couldn't do that movie without millions of dollars. And he's like, whatever, I'm going to make this. It was like his final project for film school. But I had no idea how clearly inspired he was by In the Mood for Love. Oh, cool. It's like, it's like I'm watching it. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I've like, I just wrote him like, just watched In the Mood for Love. I can see how the Blue Jet has some cor- correlations. Like, oh yeah, I definitely borrowed from him. Yeah. So now, so I'm assuming he's of the smarter variety because I think the problem that you get with film students is that when they go back and they watch films like this and they see cool shots that go on for a long time, you just have two actors in, or they, they see a shot that doesn't show the reaction, they copy those things without knowing what their function is and why they're doing them. And that's when it doesn't work. And it's just like becomes... Where it's like when you have someone like Wong Kar Wai, he knows why he's holding. Like just your explanation of how that made you feel being on the thing. Like he's thought through that. And I, you know, as someone who had just, you know, made a movie where it was like we had this big giant elaborate, you know, blocking scene planned and like all this coverage and then shot the mat, this roaming master of this like four and a half page scene. And then once we did that take, it was just like, I can't cut into this. Like, I, I don't want to like I, I there was two or three takes that I'm like but I have at least three takes in, in my pocket that I love and it's just like I don't know where I would cut into this now but I had planned such an elaborate shooting of that scene I saved myself five hours that day we ended up having to like figure out what to shoot because I I, I just went I don't I'm not gonna cut I'm not shooting anything and that's like that that's a that's the ultimate beauty of a director who knows editing knowing when you have enough because like that's yeah. like the most frustrating thing uh, that to be on, you know, if you're not in the director's chair and you're on set and you're like, Oh my God, this person has the scene and they're so fucking clueless of how things cut together that they're just adding shots because of their own insecurity. Like that's yeah, my the, biggest. Yeah. As in, as in, I've had that, you know, I spent a lot of time editing other people's bad footage and going, what is this shot for? Why did you get it? Was, it was cool. It's like, yeah, but what purpose does it serve in the story? Yeah. Whereas like with myself and I'm sure you do a bit of the same thing is like, I have this one angle that I know is really only for this one bit that I really need it for. And the actor will totally bungle the rest of the scene, nail that one little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good to move on. And they're like, what? No, that wasn't the take. I'm like, no, I got what I need there. It's cool. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I kind of, I mean, I go in with a plan and I kind of have it in my head, how the scene's going to work and, and it, it modifies and changes as we go along, but I'll, and I'll let an actor know that I'd be like, all I need this shot for is this one little piece. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we might use more pieces from it, but this is the, this is the section I need for, for sure. The rest yeah. of the take enjoy and have fun with it. And I'll do the same as if I'm going through like coverage or, you know, scenes that I know I'm going to, going to cut together from coverage and i'll let an actor know that i'm like i'm just missing this one section where i want you to try this the rest of the take do whatever you want it's for you and then just let them know that that's the moment i'm still playing with and searching for that's that's a good way to uh yeah maybe i could be more transparent with those moments usually i'm like have it you know the, the typical indie struggles of like you've got no time to shoot so goddamn much and uh you're like, okay, I got the piece. It's good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, the, I'm very the, transparent with the other act, with actors because it's like, I feel like they're not stupid. And, and also it's like, if you're going again for like a third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh time, it's like, let them know why. And it's just, and then oh, it, yeah. and it's also to say that I'm just like this little piece is to say that I'm really happy with everything else. You know, we're just yeah. playing with this. And how do you feel about this section? Cause it's not quite working for me. I always bring them in. And if I don't know what is wrong with the scene, but I know something's wrong, I'll ask them. I'm like, I'm not feeling it. What's the choice you're making? And then just deconstruct it with them because actors know. And it's like, they're, they're insecure yeah. if you're going over and over and over again. So it's like the best thing you can do is just bring them in on a conversation. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree with that. I think my thing is like the the moving on when they're like, "What do we have it?" It's like I've got such a editor perspective. I'm like, yeah, 
I know yeah. what I needed, what was missing in this scene, and we got that shot. But you know, there are there's still a part of me that would like to go again one or two times, but just rarely having the luxury of time. Um, but knowing that, like, okay, I can cut this together, but we're shooting a 12 page day today or something stupid like that. Yeah. Uh, which those are never fun. Um, but yeah, with what you were saying with stu- students imitating art or whatever, I think the the biggest issue is a lot of the time students try to r- replicate style, but not substance, so yes. to speak. Like it's it's like, and I think this is like the biggest issue with with young creators who are just getting started and like and like there was times where I was able, like the problem is people not having something to say, but wanting to make a movie. And that's like, most filmmakers. That's like it, filmmakers working on their third film, I find. And that's my biggest critique of like filmmakers in general is like, they don't have, they don't exactly continue, but that yeah, we're on the same page. Like what, what are you trying to say with this? So like a lot of the times, like the, the projects of mine that have been more successful, it's usually like, I got really fucking pissed off about this thing that happened and I wrote a whole film like in, out of anger like to to deal with this idea or I went through this hard thing and I, and I, and there's this feeling that I'm trying to like communicate or or whatever it may be but um like That was the thing that when I start, first started you know seeing you and your work that was very clear and now I was very excited about you was I'm like this is a guy that has something to say and is working some shit out through his movies. And that's fascinating to watch because you want us and it's, and just exploring ideas and playing with stuff. But it's like someone that has something to say. And that's, that's, that's kind of, if someone gives me a script to weird or something to watch and it's, and it's just terrible. And I have, and it's just, and I, cause I never want to tell someone that that's always how I just start the conversation. Like, what were you trying to achieve here? And then I can let them know if they were successful in that or not. And sometimes they're like, oh, I was just trying to tell a story about this. And it's like, okay, well, what is that about? And then just try to force them to start thinking about why they want to tell the story. Because half the time people aren't even aware of why they want to tell a story they want to tell. Uh, sorry, I'm going to close this door real quick. No problem. Oh, sorry. No, okay. uh, I'm on a call. Sorry. Thought I was alone in the office. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, the train of thought there. Where? What was the? Uh, uh, yeah. So, and, and like for me, I think like the biggest thing is, I the re, like the number one reason I abandon projects if I do am building something is is that realization of like I've got nothing to say. These are just cool scenes and like mm-hmm. that, this dope moment. And sometimes. I can build a film around a dope moment and find something to say or whatever. Like you can reverse engineer and we will have those aha moments. Cause I, a lot of the times it's like, there's two reasons why I start writing a project. It's one, I've got something to say and I want to just like say it and I will re- reverse, I'll engineer a script around it, a feeling, an idea that I want to communicate something I'm angry about, something I'm excited or passionate about. The other thing, and I'm very, it's hopefully, usually I can merge these two if I'm successful, is I will have one set piece that I just love and, and then try to see how could I get a story around this. And so like with like shooting the musical, I had this idea for that opening scene and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. What do I do with this? Or I had this idea of like just joking, you know, in my head being like, whoa, wouldn't it be fun? Like, wouldn't it be, how would people react if someone made like a high school shooting musical? And that idea was like, oh, okay, that it made me think about it. And like, and I was like, oh yeah, I could never make that film. And then I found like, wait a minute, I could proxy make that film by making it not about that, but you know, yeah, whatever it may be. And so like some stuff, like it's usually, a, but a lot of the times it's like one joke that I know, I really love. And by the time I've shot it and all that sort of stuff, I forgot that that joke was funny. And it's not until like I'm in the theaters where it's like, Oh yeah, that joke was the whole reason I started trying to figure out, crack this story is because I thought this one moment with this kid getting his foot broken uh, would be so funny and needing to reverse engineer a story out of that or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if you've had that moment where it's like, 
when you're cutting things down and then it comes to that scene where it's like people are like oh you could lose that scene you don't need and it's like well, that scene was the new reason i made the movie <laughs> and then you go yeah but but then you realize that they're right and you don't actually need it anymore and it's become something else uh, uh that's i've definitely i'm definitely out of the way like i for me it's like i need two things i need a strong hook of story that's interesting to me that i think will be that will hook other people and then i need like I need to have something to say, like a, a strong theme to work with. And, uh, and, 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 and I can't really do anything without one or, or like an intro into the world that is kind of personal to me. Like when I was developing how to plan an orgy in a small town for the longest time, it was just like how to plan an orgy. And I'm like, I had like, I want to tell a story about like the awkwardness and weirdness that comes with like people trying to plan group sex. Cause I'm like, I don't know how that happens. That seems very complicated and like a lot of things can go wrong. But that's all I had. And I'm like, that's funny. I definitely can play within that, but I don't know the dynamics of the people. I don't know what I have to say about that other than, hey, isn't it hard and weird to have group sex? And But I'm like, what is my personal in on that? And then one day when someone was asking what I was working on next, I just kind of tested out the rest of the title. And I was like, it's called How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town. And I was like, and I'm from a small town. So I was like, <clears throat> instantly I'm like, oh, now I know. Now I know what this movie is about. Because I know those nice. people, I know those relationships, I know how I feel about that inside that world, and I was off to the races. And within like a week, I written I'd written a hundred and fifty page script. Oh, it's a good it's a good feeling when you have that 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 one thing that clicks, and it's just like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, but it's like a lot of people. But then I'll find, and I can I get the same way. I'll get excited about a shiny new idea, and then like three days later, realize I wouldn't buy a ticket for that movie. <laughs> Well, yeah, that that's like the most important litmus test is is like, would I see this film? And that's why I pass on most things unless they pay me well. <laughs> yeah, you're like okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll sell my soul a little bit, but I don't know. I did a, I, I had to rewrite a uh, MOW from square one. Uh, I won't tell you which one. Um, where it was like it was an awful script they were like three weeks into production and it was like just not shootable every scene was like this person thinks about their grandfather and they you know like the character introductions like this is so and so they're this is how they're related to this character or whatever but not actually like dramatizing that and making it visual it's just all it's like you guys realize that the audience doesn't get the script right Yeah, exactly. Well, that was like the thing, right? And like the slug lines were all wrong. It was written by like a novel writer's first screenplay, but I basically was given, you know, a few bucks to to like do some deep surgery for like no credit and some money. Uh, And uh, yeah, it just kind of, but like, you know, finding out where those act breaks are, it was a good experiment of like writing an MOW essentially, but it also was like, oh, I don't know how much I would like this. Like, I don't know. You've got to work on cool shows like Baroness, Baroness von Sketch and stuff like that. It must be exciting when you're like stoked on the, the, uh, <laughs> the materials and like the. Yeah. And what's, I and mean, what's great about working with them was that it's like, we always shoot way more material than we need. Uh, like we, I think the ratio is almost like uh, four to one and, and, and not four to one. It's like, it's more like, we kind of shoot 25% more content than we actually can air. And it kind of allows you to just fail and it allows you to like swing big and try. And if something doesn't work out, it's okay because we have enough stuff. And then that way, kind of our rule when we were assembling episodes was that, uh, you know, only, only the best stuff survives. And uh, if something is only okay, it doesn't need to live. um, and, And it doesn't kind of rise its way up to the top. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and that's, and it's like, what is the core to this kind of thing and where, where are we, what are we going with that? And I remember like, cause I started off on that show as an editor and then I ended up uh, directing it later on, but it's like, I remember there was always these moments where I get the footage and I try to make sense of it. And then sometimes, and sometimes it was really easy and simple, but sometimes I'm like, I don't quite sure. I don't understand hundred percent based on what the director shot and based on what's here, what's going on here. So I do my best bet. And then they'd come in and we'd sit down. And I remember particularly this happened on one, one particular sketch with Meredith, one of her big visual gags. Was I'm, like, I'm like, I just told her, I said flat out, I said, I'm going to show you my cut, but then I'm going to also just going to admit, I don't know what this sketch is about. And so we watched and she's like, yeah, this is not what 
and then she told me the idea, like what her idea and what she wanted to get by. I was like, great, go have a coffee, come back in two hours, and I will show you that. Because I have the footage to support that. I didn't know that that's what it was about. But now that I do, I can totally make that work. Come back in two hours. Uh, and, but that's just having, that's just, I think that's some of the, and that's just like another thing I love to impart to young filmmakers, like have those conversations, admit that you don't know something and then you'll get so much faster than if I was just trying to be like, protect my own ego and be like, Oh, I'll just do a million edits of this trying to figure out what's in your head. It's like, just ask people where, and, and admit when you're not a hundred percent sure, because sometimes the keys are there, but you don't know where to look for them. Yeah, no, I was editing this, feature that there was scenes I had no idea what they were trying to accomplish and just bullshitting like that and I had too much pride but when I sat down and like did a screening of a cut with the director there was like this is not what I intended for the scene and it and I I had to learn the hard way it's like oh yeah we we need to have these conversations because like yeah it's it's oh man and then sometimes you don't agree and it's like ooh, and it's like but i can make that happen it's not going to work or be good but we can try that uh and then sometimes like even on baroness like there were sometimes when it was like you know they we'd have that conversation and they'd be like oh this is what the sketch is supposed to be about and i had to be like you know what that's not what the director shot like we don't have the footage to support that but knowing that what if we tried this and did something different with it and then and then sometimes that you know turned into some great material and sometimes those are the sketches that got left on the cutting room floor uh or then sometimes what was really cool too is like sometimes we'd have sketches that weren't successful and then we do them again the next season and then we'd shoot them you know differently or or they'd rewrite the sketch or do something so there's a couple of sketches that uh took a season or two and a couple of passes at it before it worked and so then for them, now that luxury was kind of cool too. Is, is that show's done now, right? Yeah, this fifth season's coming out uh, this fall. So uh, it'll it's all wrapped up. Oh man, I just like, I, I, there's so many good sketches that came from that. And like, I was so not expecting it because I kind of hate most sketch shows. There's a few that like I enjoy. And uh, it definitely looked like one of those shows I'm like, God damn, these people are having. I can feel like there's times where people are having genuine fun. Yeah, we whereas had lots like, of fun. Whereas, like, I feel like a lot of what we shoot here is stuff that is basically made for in Vancouver. Like, a lot of the stuff is like made for middle America, like Trump's America, essentially. And where I feel like Toronto is like making a lot more cool, authentic projects that are coming from Toronto. Sometimes we're doing a lot of that other stuff too. There's a lot of service sure. production that happens kind of everywhere in Canada, but I think we we do have the luxury of having a few more kind of creatives living living in Toronto versus other places in Canada. Well, and and they're like actually green lighting shows there. <laughs> yeah, great creatives in BC. We have great creatives all across. We have great creatives in the East Coast, and but it's just like they're not. It's yeah, but I I don't yeah I agree. It's, it'd be nice to spread spread things out across the country. Yeah, more. it was like a few years ago, there was like that comedy coup competition and like the winning team was from BC and they're like, oh yeah, but you can't actually shoot in BC and you can't actually direct. And like, we have to take everything that you've created and just make it in Toronto with our Toronto peeps. And it was like, oh, so that's that's where, where we're at with creating shows in Vancouver or when it comes, you know, there's been a few cases like that. It's we got this like little, little brother syndrome. Yeah. Well, bless you guys. <laughs> Everyone's working hard. So, so just to bring it back around to this movie. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. No, no, that's okay. No, the, the, here's the thing. No, no, no. The, the, the whole podcast is all about going on these wonderful tangents and getting into like our own shit. Uh, but I just wanted to ask like, you know, watching this now, like, what do you, do you think that this is the kind of thing you might kind of like take anything from, or if you just go, you know, I really appreciated that for what it was on its own, but it's not the kind of stuff that speaks to me and, and the way I work. I, there, there is some things I'd like to take from it. Um, first of all, the attention to frame uh, I love the confidence of shooting scenes with less coverage, even though it, it can sometimes be daunting. And like, I love, 
I love the moments where we just stick on objects and like we keep hearing the conversation like that resonated with me. Um, I think that I often try to shoot things pretty personal where we're, we are getting a little bit more in with the characters, but I like some of this like voyeury stuff. Um, I, I think in general, like I, I'm not as big on on some of the slow burn stuff that that is happening here, like for my own stuff. But honestly, like I'm at a weird crossroads where I'm trying to figure out what I want to say with the films I want to make. Mm-hmm. And I've had several crises of identity and stuff like that during this process. So it was nice to see something that wasn't just kind of trashy television and to like sit with that. And um, like, I don't know if this film would, I, it, you know, it's unlo- in this world of so much noise of so many films getting made i don't know how well this film would do if it came out today i think it's still beautiful and would get some recognition but yeah it's 20 years old now yeah that's the thing i was like oh you know i i felt weird because I, I i was uh you know talking about watching this and i'm like yeah you know it's like i guess it's a classic because it's 2000 and that's been 20 years and then it, then you're like that's crazy that that feels old now or that it's 20 years old because I don't feel because I was alive then. And (laughs) yeah. But there is moments where they, where they, I think that I have a tendency, maybe it's because I I don't believe, maybe because I think everyone has ADHD like myself um, where I, I liked some moments where we did sit there and I feel like, I need to be more confident to have a few moments where the audience has to just sit there and deal with it and that you don't necessarily need to keep spoon feeding them plot and jokes and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely take like the, the movie I'm about to make. Um, I'm definitely, it's definitely gonna be a very different film for me than anything I've made before and, and kind of like giving myself liberties like that is something I'm looking forward to and terrified about. Um, because I see so many other filmmakers do it. And I'm like, I feel like I'm at a place now where I know when those moments feel authentic and when they just feel pretentious and I know when they would, would work for my stuff. And I think, and it's also like, I remember like the first time I watched American beauty, uh, just really appreciating in that film, each character having these, these moments where they're just by themselves and, and letting an actor just like take it, take a moment, and just kind of do their thing. There's this great moment with Annette Benning where she's like alone in this house after this terrible series of showings. And she just kind of like closes the curtains and just stands against them and just like starts slapping herself. And then, you know, straightens herself up and goes back out the door and is ready to, you know, pretend to be happy again. Oh, that I, I love those, those moments where it just reminded me of, the end of the Katy Perry doc. Did you ever see this? No, I don't it's think like, so. It's not the greatest doc in the world, but there's this moment. It's, it's the best ending ever. Like I just loved it so much. The beginning of it's about her like big world tour, but like her husband, Russell Brand, like leaves her and cheats on her during, and she's like a full emotional breakdown, but her show always starts with her like on this like lower plank underneath the stage and shoots her up. And it's like big energy and it's exciting. And she just finds out that like they're going to get divorced. She's an emotional wreck. And she walks to that plank. She's like so devastated. And like she needs time off. She needs to all these things. And it's just such a dark moment. We sit with her for so long as the lights all go down in the stadium, all that sort of stuff. And then the lights come up and boom, she is full of energy and like is giving the concert of her life like like uh like there like there's nothing wrong and it's just like that moment just broke me and it's like whoa i don't even like katie perry i don't know why i'm watching this doc but it stuck with me i think the last what's it called now i know i want to watch it <laughs> i think it was on netflix uh katie perry doc i don't even know how i ended up watching it uh oh part of me it's like 2012. Honestly, you can fast forward to the last scene. It's just such a good last scene. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's one of those moments that really sat with me. Um, 
the last narrative, I haven't done much narrative stuff and I'm kind of hating myself for it. But in November, I shot one thing where I had basically no crew. I had myself and a sound person. I was DOPing, cam oping, directing, which was awful, but I wanted to just shoot something for the sake of shooting something. And I did allow myself to like space out this shoot. It wasn't, it was just me processing some heartbreak I was going through and I Mm. wanted someone to deal with. I wanted just someone to be in a shitty situation that was like what I was feeling, I guess. And I don't know. Maybe that's uh, a weird way to go about it, but I don't know. I actually like, I really had a lot of fun and I really enjoyed having these moments where I just got to sit with my characters but it is like by far one of the least popular things I've done in a while. So yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it is something for you. You know, I think that's something yeah. it's worth doing those little experiments for ourselves. Um, yeah, it felt good. <laughs> there was another thing that, that reminded me of uh, that. What we were just talking about. There's this, have you ever seen on the, on the Magnolia DVD? And I think it's on YouTube too. There's this documentary making of called that moment. Uh, it's a like feature length. It's like an hour and a half long. It's if you haven't seen it, it's definitely on YouTube. I've seen it there. Okay. And it's just the behind the scenes, and you get to see like just Paul Thomas Anderson being vulnerable nonstop throughout, as people are like questioning his ideas. And because you look at that movie, and you're like, this is a movie made by someone with a very steady, confident hand. But constantly throughout, he's just constantly kind of like explaining himself to people, defending himself. People are kind of making fun of him and, but he just kind of proceeds. But then there's this beautiful moment at the end with him and Fiona Apple, who he was dating at the time where uh, they're in like, I don't even know where they are. I think they're in like a mixing suite or something. I think they're at, maybe they're at her studio or something. I can't remember. It's been a while since I watched it, but uh, I think it's like just when the movie just got released and people were, I mean, and by this point he had won like the golden bear at the Berlin festival. Like the movie had had some acclaim, right? It was doing well, yeah. but it was still like, the, it was coming in and everyone was like, and it was mixed opinions. People either like, it was brilliant or people were like, it's too goddamn long and blah, blah, blah. And there's this little weird moment that I'll ruin for you and the listeners. If you haven't seen it. So if you want to watch it, pause this, watch it, <laughs> come back. Um, where Fiona Apple starts doing this dance. Like she starts almost doing this interpretive dance as she is the movie. And he starts berating her and he's like, no, stop it. You're too long. Stop. Go around. Do it again. And then she goes up and starts dancing and says, no, no, you're the Jason Robards monologue and you are too long and you need to get out. And then it's like, now do it again. And it was just like, it's like, he's exercising how he feels about all this reactions he's getting to the movie through her. Like, it's just this beautiful, weird moment that I just love. I'll have to watch it. Uh, I'm always, I'm always baffled by how much PT Anderson seems like an accessible person. When you compare him to his movies, you're like, what this guy is PT Anderson. Like when you listen to him on podcasts and stuff, I got very lucky. I went to film school at Niagara College uh, out in uh, in Welland, so near the, near the Buffalo border. And when Paul, when Punch Drunk Love came out, he did a, there was a screening of it at the Kodak uh, um, Museum in uh, Rochester, which is I don't know like an hour hour and a half from from Niagara. So we got a, me and a buddy went, got tickets because he was going to be there. And do like a Q and A thing, and at that point, I you know, I was a big fan, and uh, and still am. Uh, and so we went to that. And what was really cool was after it, you know, it's a big, decent sized theater, but after like a bunch of people like swarmed around him, and you know, we're getting him to sign shit and that kind of stuff. And then people were dwindling away, dwindling away, and then eventually there was just like I think eight of us left, and just chatting, and they were like trying to kick us out. And he's like, "Here's the thing, I'm stuck in town for the night." I don't actually have anywhere to go, but we can't stay here. They're kicking us out. I just want to go and get some beers. Does anyone want to come with me? So we go out go out and go, go drinking with Paul Sanderson for the night. And he is the most grounded down to earth, cool guy I've ever met. Like I was, I walked away from that with a newfound respect for him because he was so grounded. And you think you watch his movies and you're like, this is a guy that must be pretentious as fuck, but he's a cool guy. I mean, he's married to Maya Rudolph. Yeah. 
So I, I'll vouch. I had one great night that he probably doesn't remember, but I will cherish forever. Yeah, I've got that cherished night with uh, with Michael Moore. I went to it. Like there was more. Than, there was a lot of people there, but went to the screening. They're kicking him out after this Q and A. He's like, "Hey, there's a bar nearby. Whoever comes, I'll buy you a drink. It tabs on me." And like hung out, asked questions, shot shit, bought everyone drinks. And I was like, "Whoa!" I, I was just, I was very uh, humbled by just seeing someone that you know that is like. It likes people. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Uh, any final thoughts on in the mood for love? Uh, I think. I think it's. A, I'm really like. I'm glad I, I finally watched it. I think it's a beautiful film. I think. I think I'm going to have a lot of profound thoughts like in a week from now and hate myself for not uh, uh, putting them on here. Uh, but um, it's really good, and it's it's such a nice you know, because it's a subtitled film and you can't look at your phone or else you're missing stuff. It's a really nice break from this world that we're living in. And I think that right now everyone's just going through so much loneliness and despair and a lot of feelings that are very familiar with this film. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm glad I went through it and I feel like I'm going to just keep thinking about it. Good. I mean, that's a, that's the mark of of, of, of an you know, I want to say a great film, but at least an interesting film that it stays with you and kind of haunts you for a couple of days. You know, because there's so much content that I think we just watch, and then the next day I'm like, what did I watch yesterday? You can't even remember. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm glad. Well, thanks for doing this with me, man. Oh, it's great. I'm sorry I've been so hard to lock down. But... No, that's okay. I was glad to finally have you on. That was good talking to you, man. Yeah, well, hopefully we at some point in, in, in the future we'll both be in the same city at the same time and we can watch a movie together in person again. That sounds good. Keep on rocking in the free world. You too, brother. Let's all go. Thanks for joining us for In the Mood for Love. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.